0: You know, it's uh, coming to the end of summer, at least in my book it is, the summer solstice really is the end. I don't even know what the summer solstice is, but it is uh, nearing the end, at least for the church. We've wrapped it up. We had our fall kickoff yesterday, and many of you took part in that. You had some amazing stories about some random act of kindness that you did throughout uh, the day, and then as we came back to celebrate, you got to experience Big Al's barbecue and just hanging out with some people, and as uh, both campuses got to participate in that, and it was an awesome, awesome event. But one of the things that really kicks off our fall is not just getting back into the swing of things here at church, but getting connected with a small group really kicks off the fall for us. You know, small groups are a chance for you to know one another better and to grow in Christ greater. This church has been very intentional about getting you into a place where you can know and grow. That's what this is about. And if you're not in a place where you're knowing each other greater and growing in Christ, Let me encourage you to think in the ways of walking down the path of small groups. A small group, though, guys, just isn't uh, another program of the church, okay? It's not like children's ministry and men's ministry and women's ministry and small groups ministry. No, small groups are the church, just so you're aware. Small groups are the sweetest fellowship that you'll ever enjoy in, in church, and some of you are like, well, why, why would we be all about small groups? Why would we make it such a big issue that we're going to preach on it to, today and the next, next Sunday? It's because not only are they are part of the church, but in a large church, it gets so difficult to get connected. And there are times in a church this large where you can feel lonely and lost. And we have discovered that the bigger we get, the smaller we really have to become. We've got to find ways to get small. And so taking a playbook out of the New Testament model that you find in the book of Acts, We've come up with this simple idea that we're going to have large group worship times like this, like you're experiencing, and then small group huddles that we can meet together and really connect on a personal level so we can know one another and so that we can grow in Christ, so that we can know and grow together. And it comes up from a really simple philosophy that we have around here, and the philosophy is everybody needs somebody. I wanted to sing that like Dean Martin. But that comes from this idea that we we have this thing in us that just wants to belong, and so we 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 try to like manipulate ourselves and do all sorts of like uh, crazy things just to fit in, to find our fit, to find our place. Which a lot of us are like uh, trying to get a square peg in a round hole. We just don't fit in in some places because we've never really have come to that place where we truly feel like we belong and we can relax in that belonging. I'm telling you, God has created a place, and some people like that. When you get into a Christ-centered small group, you find a place to belong, because I think we're all hard- hardwired to belong. And, and, and when we don't, it just gets awkward when we try to fit in. I saw this video clip the other day, and I just wanted to share it with you. A group of boys are out at the playground, they're all dabbing, thing that Cam Newton had kind of made famous, and everyone's involved in it, everyone's working it, they're doing such a good job, and you get to this kid. He tries his best. Oh, oh, Oh. Um, um. like I know the dab is dead, but he just fossilized it right there. (laughs) Poor guy just trying to fit in, trying to do his, everybody else on the playground knows the dude, did you hear the teacher? He says, oh, Lord have mercy. (laughs) (laughs) Like that did not work completely. You're not a part of this group here. And then we've, we've tried, this reminds me of my high school days, my junior high days, my elementary days. It reminds me of these days doing everything I can to fit in with people that I really don't connect with. So I'll change my approach. I'll change my attitude. I'll change my actions. I'll change my opinion. I'll change the way I talk. I'll change the way I act. Why? Just to get into the group that really I wasn't going to belong in any way, but I did my best to try to get in it. What if we just put all that behind and just got real and just headed back down to some science there is what's called the Maslow hierarchy of need maybe you've read about it heard about it in school if not let me introduce it to you it just starts off with what what do we need basically as humans to survive like what's basic well it starts off with some physiological needs that's like i need to breathe that's pretty basic i need some i need some air i i need some water i need some food that kind of stuff like that's basic need like you're not going to survive without it what's next well Maslow would say, safety needs. Like, you need to know that you have a, a place to lay your head, uh, some property that you're not going to be kicked off of. You need to have some income or some resourcing so that you don't have to lay awake at night and go, where am I going to make ends meet tomorrow, right? Basic need kind of stuff. Then it moves immediately into relationships. And he says, the third basic need of every human being is just to belong, to belong. like you got to have relationships. Everybody needs Somebody. Friend, I know you're not going to know everybody in this congregation, but you need to know and grow with somebody in this congregation. Because fitting in, my friend, is the biggest barrier to belonging. Like just trying to manipulate your personality, manipulate who you are and not be the real you is the quickest way to stop you from belonging to something. i am tell you the, the fastest way to belong is to get around some people who have like minds of faith. Oh, you're not going to be the same. You're not going to be the same. There's always going to be one weird one in the group. If you haven't found it, guess what? You're the weird one. (laughs) There's always going to be one of those. Let me tell you that there are some great things that happen in a Christ-centered small group. Like number one, when I I find in my small group, I'm free to be me. You know how freeing that is, not have to twist anymore, not have to, to pretend, not have to... To like change my opinion or my thought, just to be in the group. I'm just free to be to be me. I don't have to impress, I'm just accepted. And so, my real question for you this morning is: who are those people in your life where you're free to be you? Where I'm free to be me. Who are those people to you? Like, who's your fam? Who's your peeps? We're, we're saying it like this: who's your tribe? Who are the people that just go, yeah? We accept him. We accept her unconditionally. Who are those people when like life goes south? they show up and they head to you. to you. Who are those people? Because like we all have in our head that we have all this big group of people in our mind that will be there in a moment's notice. Guys, I'm here to tell you, that is a fallacy. A it's false. That's not true. They're just, they're, not all these people are going to sin by your bedside. Not all these people are going to be there when the marriage gets messed up. Not all these people are going to be there when your child gets sick. Not all those people are going to be there, but we want to believe that. You know, doctors and psychologists are now recognizing that more and more patients are coming to them, not because they need to be treated medically, but they are just lonely. And people are like rushing to the ER because they're lonely. People are going to a psychologist so so they can be heard because they're they're lonely. Did you know that when when we get real as Americans, when we get real as Americans, we start talking to people real, the number has come out that 77% of us Say, we feel lonely most every single day. That's like, that's a lot of us in this room that are just like, I don't feel like I belong. I feel like I'm constantly manipulating myself so that I fit into a group, but I know I don't fit in the group because I know I'm not being the real me. I'm not free to be the real me. I don't feel like I belong. I feel left out. and Since I feel left out, I'm, I'm being left out now, and now I feel lonely. Let me just give you a a real quick teaching that comes out of the New Testament that we find as the church is established, that God did not call us just to be make believers or, or be believers. He also called us to make belongers and to be belongers. To be believers and belongers. Like You see this all the time in the New Testament passages of Scripture. 59 times this little phrase is used. It's called one another. Say it with me. One another. Like God had this in mind that we were going to rely on one another, need one another, that we were going to hit this very basic need to belong, and it was going to work well. And so there's these one another statements. I'm just going to go through a few of them, and I want you just to say out loud one another every time I get there. You ready? Be at peace with one another. Love one another. Be devoted to one another. Live in harmony with one another. Instruct one another, and it continues on, encourage one another. Pray for, offer hospitality to, have equal concern for, and forgive. Man, if we could just get that right in life, like the church is getting it right, it would be a wonderful place. And some of you aren't experiencing a wonderful church life because you're just not in. You're not a Christ-centered community like that. You're not a part of a smaller group. You're trying to get it right here. You're ch- Friends, you can't get the one-anotherness, the one-another thing in rows. Doesn't have, you can't one-another here, but you can one-another in circles. You can't one-another a large group like this, but you can, you can one-another a small group like we're calling you to be a part of. You see, you're, you're vulnerable. I'm vulnerable. We're all vulnerable in life. Man, the more we go out at this thing alone and walk this journey alone, or believing that people are just going to show up out of the kindness of their heart when we're not making real connections to them, we're vulnerable. But the more that we're with each other and we find a place and people that we can belong to, when we find our tribe, there's some power in that. Satan's got schemes, Satan, Satan wants to trip you up, ruin some things. He comes to kill, still and destroy And my friend, who is there in your life? That's a faith friend that understands it, that takes it to heart and says, yeah, this stuff is real. There's life and death and eternity to follow. And I want to make sure that some people in my life have huddled around me to make sure that I'm on a trajectory towards heaven rather than a trajectory towards hell. Who are those people in your life? Who are your peeps? Who's your fam? Who's your tribe? Who are those people? And I know you're, you're, some of you are like, I don't, I can't think. If you can't think of them right now, you got trouble. You got trouble. I want to introduce you how you can find those people. I want to introduce you like, what a tribe looks like, how you can experience life. Like, if you just follow through with what we're asking you to do, how you can experience life like we find in Mark chapter 2. Turn there with me. There's a great story that unfolds. It's a, it's a great Jesus story, it's a great friend story, it's a great group effort story. It's a great story of transformation that when we come to Jesus, our lives are changed. Mark chapter 2, let's start in verse 1 together. We find Jesus, it says, he has come home. Now, I don't know if this was like his real home. Jesus didn't have a home that he rented, but he had a a place of, like a headquarters, a place of operations. And that was Peter's house. Maybe it was Peter's mom and dad's house. I don't know, but Jesus had a close friend named Peter. And he would often stay at Peter's house. And I think that's where they're at, in a place called Capernaum. So here we are in Mark chapter 2 starting in verse 1. It says a few days later when Jesus again entered Capernaum the people heard that he had come home and they gathered in such large number that there was no room left not even outside not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. So like real quick just kind of imagine this this house, the place is packed, right? They're flooding outside of the door. They're peering through the windows. I think the crowds are probably so large, they're just trying to be an earshot of Jesus now. Like you're not going to be able to see Jesus anymore. He's somewhere in the living room, but the windows are open, so you can hear Jesus. You're on the lawn somewhere. You're trying to just trying to get a word, what, just trying to hear what he has to say. This place is absolutely a madhouse. They're just on top of each other, but they're quiet because Jesus is there, and Jesus is known now. He's He's speaking, and he's speaking with authority like they've never heard before, and they want to hear hear Jesus, and that's when this giant interruption takes place. Look at Mark 2, verse 3. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. A tribe of five wants to get in the room, and they want to see Jesus. Guys, it's so packed. Come on, this... To be kind and to be courteous. Hey, oh, excuse me, can we get through here? Make a way here. We, we got a guy in a cot that needs to get up front right here. Can you just, me, come on, just make a hole? That's not going to work. And they know that everybody wants to see Jesus at this moment. So these five guys, they got to start getting radical because everybody needs to get at the feet of Jesus. But they, they don't know how. And here's what I've discovered. That the hope of a great outcome causes passionate people to think creatively. The hope of a good outcome causes passionate people to start thinking creative. And these guys were passionate. You know who they were passionate for? Their buddy who was paralyzed. They wanted to get him to the feet of Jesus. They would do anything they could. So here's what happens. Look at verse 4 when made the story is just so awesome. Since they could not get to him, to Jesus, they couldn't get their buddy to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof. They wrecked the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. Like many of the homes in those days were flat roof. Uh, You could go on top during the cool of the night and, and escape the heat from the day that had settled into the house. But they were also made of like crude concrete. And so what these guys had done is they probably found some makeshift tools and they started just to dig a hole in the roof, and, and they probably tried to turn it into a positive thing, like, come on, we'll, we'll get our, our buddy before Jesus, and, and then we'll tell the homeowner, we just gave him a nice skylight as well. I don't know what their rationale was, but they wouldn't do anything to get their buddy in front of Jesus, and they wrecked the roof because of it. Like, Kind of like a side note teaching, just just quip teaching. These guys were going to do everything they could to get their friend to Jesus. There was going to be no barriers too big that they they were going to stop at. No obstacle too wide that they weren't going to leap over. They were going to get their friend to Jesus. And how I want that passion. How I want. For us at Bethany Christian Church to have that passion, we're going to do everything we can to get our lost friends connected to the feet and to Jesus, get them right in the feet of Jesus. My friends, this is not just a story of five guys that have an incredible friendship. This is a story about a man that came to Jesus and was completely transformed because that's what happens. That's what happens when we bring our friends, when we bring our buddies, when we bring our tribe to five to Jesus. Life transformation takes place. And now they've wrecked the roof and here's this guy, right? He's coming through the the new skylight that they just put in. You just you know there's a ton of dust in the room. And don't you think the whole room went quiet? Like everyone's just now like, okay, you lost me, Jesus. Hang on. There's feet, toes, ankles, shin, okay, what's happening? And the guy's being lowered down, and there's like streams of light coming through through the dust, and I can just see real slow and methodically this guy's being lowered down as as if not to hurt him. And in my mind's eye, this guy lands just right at the toes of Jesus. The teaching stops. And here's what unfolds, verse 5 and 12. Let's just walk through the rest of the story. When Jesus saw their faith, when he saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed, paralyzed man, what does he say to him? Son, your sins are forgiven. Can I just point something out to you that I think is really interesting? When any, anytime Jesus heals somebody or forgives their sin, he says, your faith, your faith has healed you. What does he say to the tribe of five? Their, when, I, when he saw their faith. It took the group. It took the group to get this man's sins forgiven. It took the group to get this man to a place of faith. It took the group to get this man to the feet of Jesus and to be healed that day. Couldn't do it by himself. Their faith. Verse 6, now some teachers of the law were sitting there. These are like preachers that have asked heavy demands of the people that weren't of God, and they were thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk that way? Why does Jesus talk this way? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Verse 8, immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts, and he said to them, why are you thinking this way? Boy, I would hate to be in the crowd with Jesus. (laughs) He's like, I know your thoughts. I know exactly. Hang on. Got it. Got it. I know exactly what you're thinking. Verse 9. Here's what Jesus responds to them and what they're thinking, which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, say, get up and take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of God has authority on earth to forgive sins. That's primarily why Jesus did miracles. He wanted people to recognize his authority, that he truly was the Son of God, he was divine. So he says to the man, I tell you, you get up, take your mat and go home. What happened in verse 12, he got up. Guys, those three words... He got up. We just went by so fast, but that changed a man's life forever. He hadn't gotten up in decades, probably. And he gets up under his own strength and on his two feet. And what happens? He takes up his mat and he walks out in full view of them all. Everybody's like, What just happened here? And it says that this amazed everyone, and they praise God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. I have neither. I've never seen anything like that what an impressive thing to see somebody stand up and walk out who we know has been injured, hurt, paralyzed for decades, and we say, whoa, glory to God. But what's greater? He walked away. He walked away healed with great legs, and he walked away connected to God for the first in his life. No more barriers. Your sins are forgiven. Four four people in this story real quick. You know who they are? Number one, there's the hurting. Let's just say that's the guy on the mat. There's the hurting. One day that could be you, but right now it's probably somebody else in your life. There's the hurting in your life. And then there's the healer. Jesus is oftentimes called the great physician. Because he doesn't just heal the body, he also heals what? The soul and the spirit. For all of us in this room, the healer is always Jesus. Then there's the hinderers. There's people that mean well. Like they're Christian, but almost Christian to a fault. I don't even know if you can be Christian to a fault, but maybe they are. Like, they're just ultra-religious, uber-religious to the point where they've now said, here's what God wants of us, but I'm going to add some more things onto that, too. Maybe you come from a church like that. Maybe you met people like that. Like, you've got to do it their way, otherwise you're not doing it the Christian way, even though you're still doing it the Jesus way. Yet, in their mind, you're not doing it the right way. The -hmm. hinderers. They mean well, but just... They're keeping you from knowing and growing in God. How about the helpers? Who are the helpers in the story? i got to assume the helpers are those four guys that came around that one guy, the tribe of five that got that guy to the feet of Jesus. Now, let me me just draw a couple teachings out of this, because I want you to experience what that guy and that Matt experienced that day. I want you to experience healing in your life, but I also want you to experience what it's like to have four guys around you that lead you to Jesus and keep you aimed on Jesus and targeted on Jesus. Because it ain't going to happen in a place like this room. It's going to happen in a smaller group when you find your tribe. You know, more and more of us, I think, are becoming aware of something that has crept into our society called the social media deception. It's a common phenomenon. We're just starting to come to grips with it now. It means I can have thousands of followers and friends, but who is it That really is going to show up when I say, hey guys, we just bought a new house and we're moving and I've got a ton of furniture and a big basement. How many of those friends are showing up? Very few, if any. Hey guys, sick in the hospital this week, been here for four days. How many of thousands of those friends are showing up? When your marriage is a mess, how many of those friends come to the table and say, let's just sit down and let's try to work this out and get you strong again? When, when a child becomes ill and it rocks your world, how many of those friends are there saying, boy, I've been there, I have empathy for you, I'm next to you, what can I do? Here's some meals to prepare as you go back and forth from the hospital. Here's some gas money for you. We don't know what to do, we don't know how to help, but we're just trying to help the best way that we can. Like, guys, you might have a lot of acquaintances, but like, who are your friends? Like, who's gonna be there in your time of need? Which is really interesting because there's been a whole study on this. There's a guy by the name of Dr. Robin Dunbar. He's an anthropologist, that's just a guy who studies society, he studies human behavior. He stumbled on this truth, the truth called the, the Dunbar number that we can really not supersede more than 150 relationships. Like, I know you guys are like, I know everybody in this town. No, you don't. No, you don't you maybe know 150 people that you maybe can place their name on. That's about it. But there's 50 people. Now, this is the truth about us. There's 50 that would say, yeah, I'm his friend and and I call him friend too. So there's like a mutual kind of friend thing, acquaintance thing. You're, You're friendly with each other. Really, when it comes right down to it, there's 15 people in your life, 15 people in your life that you can call up and say, what are you doing this Saturday? You want to come to a barbecue at my place and about really five of them show up. Because there's five people, Dunbar says, in your life at max that have a heart connection with you. You're free to be me kind of a thing, and and you can just not have to fit in. They just know you, and they know your heart. They know what you wrestle with, and they're fine with you being you, right? They're good with you. Five. And people showed up at Jesus that day. Four plus one. Who's your tribe? Like, who's going to be there for you when, when things go south? Because I've recognized this in my life. There's two kinds of friends. There are good friends that will carry you so that you can be a best friend with Jesus. And there are friends that will pull you away from Jesus. But that's it. They'll either carry you to Jesus or they'll pull you from Jesus. And that is especially true when things go dark. It's especially true when things get messy. It's especially true when things start to go south in our life. Two kinds of friends. So who is it that you can turn to when life gets unexpected? Who is it that you can turn to when when you get sick or when there is trouble or when there is hurt? When life gets messy, who can you turn to? You know, we have an incredible family in this church. Andrew and Casey Heidenreich have been partners of this congregation for many, many years. But it didn't start that way. Like, their fit wasn't easy at first and, until they found a place to belong in a small group. And I'm here to tell you, man, because they were part of a small group, it changed, it changed their life. As those men and women in that group, during a very dark time in their life, carried them to Jesus. I, w- I want you to hear their story. If you just please turn your attention to the screen.
1: We ended up going to, coming to Bethany, when it was still in Montgomery, Montgomery. Yeah. and we felt really good there. I think we had kind of been uh, church hopping a little yeah. bit before before we yeah. came to Bethany, and later on we had talked about small group, but we just never made that first step to actually, you know, approach somebody about small group. You know, figure out where we'd fit, where mm-hmm. we'd think you know would be a good place for us. My first time I went to small group. I was a little intimidated. Yeah. I I don't know about you, but... Yeah,
2: when we walked in, I mean, it was a bunch of people we didn't know. I mean, I knew, like, two people. I mean, yeah. so it was kind of a icebreaker kind of thing.
1: Because, like, everybody had yeah. been together for a for, little while, yeah, a and we time. were the newbies yeah. coming in. And just, yeah,
2: new kids on campus. Yeah.
1: yeah, and it was just... It was different, but it was definitely something we wanted to keep doing. Uh, a couple months after we started going to small group we had our second daughter in September our lives got changed
2: forever yeah I got turned upside down pretty quick so
1: um, our our daughter got sick so from Sunday early Sunday morning to Wednesday morning I mean we'd been in two ERs um, Two hospitals, emergency surgery, everything was just so crazy.
2: Yeah, it was kind of utter chaos, really.
1: Had to be up at a certain time the next morning for the doctors to make their rounds and the staff and what the game plan was and and so on. And then his grandma and grandpa were at the hospital with us that morning. And we had went downstairs.
2: Yeah, to get breakfast, yeah. Then I got a call
1: at 10 o'clock. Saying we're gonna do an MRI, and I'll tell you why when we get there. <laughs> and um, she wasn't responding to light anymore.
2: Well, as that afternoon, Evan showed up. Yeah, that afternoon, yeah, Evan and Evan, Aaron showed yeah. up.
1: Our small group had called us. We're just praying for us and stuff over the phone. And then, yeah, I mean, that was just
2: that right there was more than yeah. more than I could ever imagine.
1: We hadn't known each other very long. I mean, not personally, very long. So I was in her room holding her and out the corner of my eye, I could see somebody. And after I turned, it was Leslie. And then it was Alyssa, and then it was Ashley.
2: Yeah. And... Yeah, because I had went outside. You yeah. were in there and I went outside and there's everybody, you know.
1: Yeah. And it was just everybody. You know, it was seven
2: o'clock at night.
1: And they and all just like, popped Whoa. in the car yeah. and, and came to
2: see yeah. us. It's pretty amazing the connection that, you know, that we had through the entire thing, you know, not, you know, I mean, it's just like going through your pregnancy, you know, she was born in March and everybody brought over food and we'd only been going to, like, yeah. you know, we've only been going to small group for, for a couple months. Two, three and, months. And then, and then this happened and everybody just dropped everything. We went to church
1: and we didn't have that. You know, extra fulfillment out of out of being in a small group, and once we were, um, it
2: was just I I wouldn't change it for anything. Absolutely, you know, transitioning to church like we have now is I mean, it's so large and and and, and that's awesome because I mean, that's what we're supposed to do. You know, multiply. You know, and and, uh, and you know, create disciples and, and, and baptize people and, and come to know Christ and you know, now that we, we have had a small group and continue to participate in one, I mean, it's just, it's it's a whole nother experience. Small group doesn't always have to be, I think everybody gets this idea, but it's always about being in the Bible every single time you're together, and it's not, it's more than that. It's, it's just the connection in general and being around people of like Faith and, and being able just to, just to talk and just talk about life and, and just have fun and and that's what's always that's what i've always enjoyed is it's just it's just very low-key and loose we wanted
1: that connection with other people um, outside of just going to church so you know after each time of, of going you know because it is out of your comfort zone especially if it's something that you haven't been exposed to or ever done before you know but after if you know Staying with it and, you know, not letting your fear take power over what really needs to happen in your life, it was totally worth it. Yeah. And now we have great friends that I wouldn't trade.
2: Yep, yeah, absolutely.
0: You know, when I get in the right tribe, I'm always moving closer to Jesus. Can that be said of your tribe? Are they moving you closer to Jesus or are they pulling you f- further further from it. Because I so desperately want for you what Andrew and Casey have for them. Is it to be in a small group before you need a small group? Ecclesiastes puts it like this in chapter four. It says, two people are better off than one for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other one can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Number of years ago, NASA, before they put men into space, wanted to know the effect that a man would have isolated in a capsule as they did orbits around the earth. So they ran some experiments on monkeys, and I'm not here to say that that was right, but that is what happened. And the findings of that study were really important to the way that you and I behave, especially during times of crisis. See, one monkey was set aside and put into a room isolated, in. And all sorts of things that could enhance stress were put into that monkey's cage. And light and sound and things that were distracting and panicking were there. And and they would test the the hormones of the brain to see how stressed out that monkey was. And that monkey was completely stressed out, almost to the place of paralysis. And then they introduced something into the cage that that just kind of found uh, the the whole idea of the experiment. It, It just kind of threw it for a loop. They put another monkey in the cage whom the other monkey that was experiencing the stress knew, a buddy monkey. And what they discovered was under the same conditions, after they checked the hormones in the the brain level and all the stress indicators, that monkey's stress level was cut down by more than half because he had a buddy in the room, because he had someone to share the trouble. You ever heard the old adage, a trouble have"? Is the trouble shared? I guess the question is, and I know it sounds silly, who are your monkeys? Like, who is going to be there to share in the trouble? Let me just kind of go further than that. Who is it that's carrying you to Jesus when you've been paralyzed by life? You know, just a few moments, we're going to give you an awesome opportunity to join a small group. Like if you just here at Washington walk out of these doors and hang a right immediately, you're going to find the next step room. In there, there's all sorts of group leaders in there that will help to get you connected. If you're in Vincennes, it's out the doors and to your left. At both campuses, there's going to be folks there that will introduce you to a small group. They'll take your season of life, kind of where you live, and they'll try to match you up to the best group that's going to fit you for right now. And over the course of the week, they'll really narrow that down. They'll get a hold of you. And they'll say, this group is going to be probably best tailor, tailor-made for you or your spouse or you and your family. And, and my challenge to you is, if, if you've never been a part of a small group, if, you, if you're not a part of one, and, and we're expecting about 200 people today, to, 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 for the first time, to step out and say, I want this for my life. I don't have any monkeys to join me. And they're ready for you to get plugged in, to get into a group, just to take that next step. Because the big question is, who's your tribe? Who's your fam? Who's your peeps? Who are those people? Are they going to be there for you? Are they going to carry you to Jesus? Let me pull out just one more teaching as we conclude here. Mark chapter 2, the teaching is this, that Jesus invites you to come and join his tribe. Which is an incredible teaching. It's like simple, but it's incredible to understand that God wants me to join his tribe. And that actually God has done everything through his son Jesus so that he would say, I just want to be one of your tribe of five. I want to be in that with you. Now, I don't know how your schooling went, but my schooling went something like this. Like, if you were a jock, you hung out with the jocks. If you were a band geek, I mean, guy in the band, you'd hang out with the guys in the band. If you, were, if you were an artsy guy, you'd hang out with the artsy guys. If you're intelligent, you'd hang out with the nerds. I mean, the intelligent guys, what am I doing? You can kind of tell where I fit in and where I didn't. But boy, I wish I was artsy and intelligent. It would have been a lot less trouble in my life, I'll tell you that. And what we discovered is that it doesn't change, does it? As soon as we get out of high school, sales stays the same. You go to the workplace, and what happens? There's still those guys that talk about sports. Have you heard that Andrew Luck retired? No, I'm saying, have you heard that Andrew Luck retired? What are we going to do? Some of you are like, Andrew Luck retired? You're not in that group, obviously. (laughs) Obviously. And then you do have your artsy intellectual fo- You know where you fit in best and you try to manipulate yourself to get into that conversation to fit in the best way you can and and really join in. And here's the thing, here's the thing about me and Jesus and you and Jesus. I'm not like Jesus. Like I know that about myself. It's like if there were a group of people standing there, I mean, Jesus is not the guy to be like, oh yeah, you and I, we click, we're hit it off. Exactly. You're perfect, and then so am I. You're powerful, so am I. You're like God, and so am I. No, I'm not. I like, don't fit at all. And Jesus says, No, no, I want to create a way so that you can be in my tribe. You can be in my tribe. It's like So no matter how messed up life is now for you, Jesus says, I want to join it. I want to join that stuff right now. No matter how broken you are right now, Jesus says, I want to be beside you right now. No, no matter where you are or who you are, Jesus says, I want to join your tribe. I want you to be a part of this thing with me. I want you to belong with me. I want you in on this together. I don't want you to go through life alone. I want you to belong. The awesome thing about the story in Mark chapter 2 is this guy was healed oh, it's not the physical healing. It's the spiritual healing that we see here that's so amazing. This guy walked out of that room on his own two feet under his own power, but now he was walking with new faith in Jesus Christ. His trajectory was now heaven, not hell, because he came into contact with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He came in contact with the chief of the tribe. And when those guys brought him to the feet of Jesus, his life was changed. Good things started happening for that guy when he got at the feet of Jesus. Like, have you been there at the feet of Jesus? Good things started happening. His legs were healed, but not only that, his sin, the biggest problem in his life, his sin was forgiven because he had four guys show up in his life that said, we got to carry you to Jesus. Do you have those folks in your life? If not, man, you need to run to small groups. You need to get in a part of a small group so you do. He got forgiven. He got healed. He got complete heart, body, soul, mind, strength. He was complete because of Jesus. Absolutely amazing. Friends, if you want to live passionately in this life, you're going to need to create some space in your life for Jesus. Like, Do you have margin in your life right now for Jesus? Like outside of this hour, do you have margin to get into, out of these rows into a circle and to find a tribe? Some people that are going to carry you to Christ. Because if you want to live passionately for Jesus, you're going to have to find a tribe and you're going to have to create some space. And if you want to to grow in God, you're going to have to create some God time. And I know it's not going to be easy for you as you try to like redo your schedule to make another hour and a half of your week with, with some guys in church that you don't even know, but, but I know you're going to get to know. I know it's not going to be easy, but that's where all this starts, is by creating the right priorities and saying, God, you first, you first. My agenda second. And if you want some friends who know you, and really know you but still love you even though that they know you. Friend, you need to get a part of a small group where you can be unconditionally accepted and really find a place to belong and quit trying to manipulate who you are just to fit in. Relax. And find rest with people of faith in Christ Jesus.